welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're continuing our series called Israel's Greatest Philosopher. Too often we go through life assuming the answers to life's biggest questions. What gives life satisfaction? How can I find meaning? What's the point of it all? Ecclesiastes gives answers that change how we see our lives and our place in the world. Today we're talking about how to avoid the stupid things that hijack our happiness. Consider what happened to Harun Majid. Majid was a military veteran working to earn his college degree. He arrived home after doing some grocery shopping and realized he'd lost his credit card. He assumed he must have dropped it after paying for his groceries. He called the credit card company to cancel the card and was informed it had just been used to buy pizza in the same strip mall as a grocery store. He called the police right away. When officers arrived at the pizzeria, they found Richard Louis Ludwig, a 54-year-old dentist waiting for his order of two large pizzas with extra olives. Ludwig was arrested for credit card theft and forgery charges. The bill for the pizzas was $40.64. When police asked him if he was having money problems, he claimed that his dental practice was worth three to four million dollars and he had $250 cash in his wallet. Here was someone who is extremely intelligent. He had invested eight years in university education. He had built up his own business and become a professional in financial success. And for a $40 pizza bill, he was now facing a felony conviction and up to six years jail time. People do stupid things to hijack their happiness all the time. How do you avoid being one of them? We're not talking here about career criminals or desperately evil people. We're talking about hardworking, successful people like you. People who seem to have it all together, but do things that ruin what they've worked for. How do you avoid being one of them? Ecclesiastes chapter 10 answers that question. The philosopher of Ecclesiastes has been teaching us to find satisfaction and enjoyment in life. Today's passage teaches us how to avoid unraveling that happiness once you find it. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and I'll read it in three sections. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting with verses 1 to 3. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. This is the word of God. Now, as we walk through today's chapter, you can remember its principles by the three small animals it refers to. There's a fly, a snake, and a bird. The first section is about a fly in the ointment, and it teaches us that a little foolishness goes a long way. Cracks in our character have a way of splitting wide open. A little foolishness goes a long way. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, a fly in the ointment. It's used to describe some little thing that ruins everything. It comes from the King James translation of verse 1. 
You can have an expensive perfume and all it takes is a little tiny fly to land in it and it's going to stink it up. The fly begins to decompose and mold and so instead of the fragrance of Coco Chanel, you're spraying on rotting fly stench. That's what a little foolishness does as well. You can have a celebrated reputation. People can look up to you and admire your success. But a foolish decision can destroy things. The cracks in your character split open. Verse 2 deals with a, with a topic from a different perspective. Some of you read, a man's heart, a man's, uh, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And you assumed he was talking about politi political affiliation. That's not what's going on here. With apologies to all of you left-handed people out there, in the ancient Near East, the right hand was considered the place of strength, honor, and virtue. That's why in Jesus's parable, the sheep were put on the right and the goats on the left. And so the point is, wisdom leads you to a place of integrity and character. But the fool's heart keeps pulling him in directions that sabotage their happiness. And according to verse 3, your foolishness isn't something that you can hide. It says this, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. It's like your foolishness is broadcast on a loudspeaker for everyone to hear. And I think we un intuitively understand this, at least with other people. Inside your head, you're thinking, don't they realize how proud that sounds? Can't they recognize how rude they are right now? Don't they see how selfish they're acting? And the philosopher's point isn't just to criticize people and put them down. He wants all of us to see how central the pursuit of wisdom needs to be to avoid hijacking your happiness. In Solomon's day, it was a time of rapid expansion. Fortunes were being made by people who seized the opportunities. But like today, they assumed that success depended on having the right resume. We think, with enough determination and the right connections, the sky's the limit. But that's not the winning formula for life. Just ask Bernie Madoff, Elizabeth Holmes, or Mark Driscoll. Your character can derail everything. I loved what Ken Jennings did after his 74-week winning streak on Jeopardy. He had won two and a half million dollars in that run, and he went on to win much more. But do you know what he did? He went to the library and checked out a book on how to avoid the pitfalls people who experience financial windfalls face. He said, I think it would be very ironic if I got the money for being smart and then did something incredibly dumb with it. <laughs> but that's exactly what many people do. For me, the most amazing thing about the story is the fact that he checked the book out of the library. I'm thinking, Ken, you just got two and a half million dollars. Surely you could afford to have bought, bought it on Amazon. So how do you avoid doing something incredibly dumb with your life? The Bible uses the terms wisdom and foolishness to define two paths. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You grow in wisdom through an attitude of holy submission to God. You revere his word. You treasure his commands. 
and you yield to his authority. Our problem is that we tend to see the world through an information lens, not a wisdom lens. We're in the information age, so we assume that learning the correct answers is the point. We send our kids to Sunday school until they learn to say Jesus, Bible, sin, or faith to all the questions. And then we're surprised when they walk away from the church. But our kids learn wisdom the same way we do, through an attitude of holy submission to God, where we revere his word and yield to his authority. That's something that has to be modeled, not just taught. Listen to how Romans 1.21 describes the development of a fool. It says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice the problem isn't information. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God or thank him. And so their spiritual and moral compass began to warp. And it doesn't take much to ruin things for you. A little foolishness goes a long way. Just a fly in the ointment, and before long, you're picking up someone else's credit card and trading a free pizza dinner for jail time and a felony conviction. It's about wisdom, not just information. It's about your attitude toward God, not how many church meetings you attend. It's about what your faith looks like when no one's looking. So we started with the fly. Next, let's consider the snake. Not only is there a fly in the ointment, but there's also a snake in the wall. And it warns us that a little foolishness invites danger. Only a life of wisdom can keep us from hijacking our careers and our health. There's a snake in the wall, and so a little foolishness invites danger. Follow along as I read verses 4 to 11. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun as if it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is said in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now we'll get to the snakes in verses 8 and 11, but first let's look at verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Now, you may read that and think, I'm pretty chill. I think I can do that. And maybe you can. But now read verses 5 to 7. It's describing a situation where the boss has made some terrible decisions. He's demoted the qualified people, the capable people and he's promoted the lousy ones. It's complete chaos, and now you're getting blamed for it. How chill are you now? If you think this scenario sounds far-fetched, this is almost exactly what went down at Twitter this past week. As thousands of employees were fired, there was one eight-year veteran who still had his job, 
And he thought it'd be a good idea to correct a tweet that Elon Musk put out apologizing for the app's sluggish speed in some countries. The next day, he read another tweet informing him that he'd been fired. Now I get that there are times to make a stand and times to leave a job, but this engineer wasn't doing that. He just hadn't calculated the implications of his words. Proverbs 25.15 says, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Jesus just said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But the point of the passage isn't just to encourage you to try to be a little more patient. The point is, only wisdom will give you the self-control to avoid hijacking your career. And that wisdom only comes in a relationship of holy submission to the Lord. Starting in verse 8, there's a series of examples of how dangerous life can be. You can dig a pit, but end up falling into it yourself. You can tear down a wall to rebuild it, but end up being bitten by a snake hiding in its cracks. You might have the power to break up rocks or split logs, but end up with a piece of rock on your foot or a splinter of wood in your eye. You might be a great snake charmer, but end up getting bitten just as you lift the top off the basket. It just seems like a series of reminders of how dangerous life can be. But the philosopher's point becomes clear in verse 10. That's where he says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. It's picturing the foolishness of someone who wears himself out trying to chop wood with a blunt axe. Wisdom would tell you to sharpen the blade. Now, some of you will recognize this as number seven in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He boldly trademarked the phrase, sharpen the saw, even though he clearly saw the image from scripture. Even Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. Where are you going to get the patience to live like that? How do you get the self-control to avoid rushing in without adequate preparation? The philosopher's answer obviously is a life of wisdom. A life lived in humility before God, seeking his will and growing in relationship with him. That's what gives you the patience and the caution and the self-control you need to avoid hijacking your health and wrecking your career. It's not that accidents don't happen to everyone, because they do. But he's warning us that we invite much of the pain in our lives through our own foolishness. If you doubt that, consider the fact that we live in an age where a restaurant called the Heart Attack Grill could thrive in popularity. Have you heard of this? The servers there are dressed like nurses, and their most famous menu item next to the pure lard flatliner fries and the unfiltered cigarettes is an octuple bypass burger made with 1.8 kilograms of beef, beef and an astonishing 16,000 calories. If you can't finish it, a nurse will literally offer to take you to your car in a wheelchair. Tell me we don't live in a generation where wisdom is in short supply. So we've looked at the fly in the ointment and the snake in the wall. Finally, let's consider the bird in the air and how a little foolishness gets a loudspeaker. 
Your words can ruin all you've worked for. And unfortunately, the walls have ears. A little foolishness gets a loudspeaker. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the, wor of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. And then our bird verse in the conclusion in verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now verse 12 is warning us of how a wise person's words will bring them favor, while the words of a fool will destroy them. The problem is, nobody thinks that they're a fool. <laughs> we can usually only spot foolishness in other people. Verse 13 shows us that it works along a spectrum. You start off by just letting your words slip once in, that, once in a while. Maybe it's complaining or gossiping or bragging. And over time, you do that a little bit more. And it becomes more serious and then more deeply entrenched. As a philosopher puts it, the beginning is foolishness and the end is madness. Are you moving along that spectrum with your words? Verse 14 gives us another indi indicator that there's a problem with our words. It says, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. Do you tend to just fill the air with words? Do you talk about things you really don't understand? Do you always have to put in your two cents? Proverbs 10.19 puts the warning this way. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever, whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The problem with words is that they have a way of traveling. They spread, often farther than we'd like them to go. That's why verse 20 says, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Today we have sayings like, a little bird told me, and the walls have ears. And we came up with those before email, social media, and cell phone cameras. Now we live in a world where you have to assume everything we say will be repeated at some point. And so our mouths can ruin all that we've worked for. When your words get a loudspeaker, what are people going to hear? Are your words going to reflect your integrity and character? Are they going to give people a window into what's really going on in your heart? Ecclesiastes is the Old Testament's book of joy. It shows us how God wants us to experience peace and satisfaction and fullness. But an essential part of that is a recognition of how foolishness can hijack our happiness. And it doesn't take a lot. The cracks in our character can split wide open. Our anger, impatience, or pride can make it all unravel. And our words will eventually reveal what we're really thinking when no one's looking. So what can we do about it? I think the first place we all need to start is to stop prioritizing the pursuit of academic success, professional success, and entertainment 
over the pursuit of wisdom. Showing up for youth group or life group is more important than your next deadline. Spending time in God's word is more important than spending time in the gym. Putting God in the back seat is an easy way to be a successful dentist with a felony conviction for credit card fraud. At the same time, our faith needs to move past just attending meetings and collecting information. I'm a pastor and I have to fight against this. I don't want to be the person of whom they say, as Paul said in Romans 1, 20, 1 21, he knew God, but he didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Wisdom isn't the same as information. We need to engage our heart and our faith. There needs to be a pursuit of God and his will at a personal level. It has to be real. And that starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts in repentance. It starts in faith. But it continues that way as well. And finally, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that God is in this with us. Many of you know James 1.5, which says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. We tend to read this verse as a promise to get our answers or our information. We've been seeing that wisdom is far more than that. It's more relational than that. Wisdom is a path. It's also a relationship. It's born out of the way that we relate to God. It comes through a holy submission to his authority. And if you want that kind of wisdom, God is pleased to give it. Like all of his gifts, he gives wisdom generously to all who ask him in faith. So let's seek him for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how you must be grieved by the many foolish decisions that we make. Grieved by the way that we often put you in the backseat and assume that there are other things more important in our life. Father, give us wisdom. Give us a heart to seek you. Give us that attitude that trembles at your word and holds up your commandments and your precepts as precious, as a path to life, and as guardrails to protect us. Lead us near that we might reflect on you and who you are. Help us to stand in awe of you. And as we do, Father, guard us and protect us. Keep us from making foolish decisions and guard us from going our own ways. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to embrace him and follow in his ways. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has encouraged you in the path of wisdom that God calls us to and help you to see how to avoid the stupid things that hijack our happiness. Today's talk has stirred up questions. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.